Good evening and welcome to the study. I, uh, I kind of feel like my voice is about done for the day. So I'm going to jump right into this and save our words for, uh, for the scripture here. Uh, tonight, as Ian mentioned, we're on to Acts chapter 18. <clears throat> uh, like most of these chapters, it says, and after these things, so we tend to kind of take a look back. But uh, verse 1 here, it's, it says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and, and went to Corinth. Um, now, Paul wasn't run out of Athens, but he wasn't there very long. Um, recall that, that he talked about the gods that they worshipped, the, the Greek mythology, the, um, all the different monuments they had, and, and he'd brought attention to the unknown God that they had an altar for, just in case. They're pretty superstitious. And so he told that all these were false gods, except for that one that they, they didn't know. They actually got something right there. Um, they, he told them about the one true God. Acts 17, uh, 32, and 34 says, 32 to 34 says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on the matter. So Paul departed from among them. So basically, they, uh, they didn't buy it. Most of them didn't buy it. They, didn't, they, they mocked him. They, they laughed at the fact that, that Jesus would be risen from the dead. And some others just put it off. They said, well, we'll maybe later. We'll hear you again this matter. Uh, now, he did, he did gather some to come with him. He, he saved some. Um, but he just wasn't very fruitful. So he wasn't there for very long. Corinth, on the other hand, well, it's a target-rich environment, and right? so that's where he's going, and, and that's where we start out tonight. Um, left from Athens, went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them, so Paul came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by, the, by occupation they were tent makers, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Right, so, so Paul, formerly Saul, he was, uh, he was an educated, um, you know, not, not the working type guy, but it was Jewish custom that they're going to learn a trade. They're either learning a trade or they're going to be thieves. That was the thought of the day. So Paul, uh, he was actually, he knew the trade of, of tent making. And he worked with his hands and he made a living. And it gave him this opportunity, afforded him this chance to uh, just live and, and be there in, in the city. And at every Sabbath, every opportunity, he went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews and persuaded them. Now, Priscilla and Aquila are, are they're just really memorable, name, memorable names to me. It's kind of like cartoon characters or something. It just stands out to me. And I remember learning of Apollos that we'll talk about at the end of this chapter and how this couple helped enlighten him. And, and I do remember wondering like, how they knew the facts well enough to educate Apollos because then we learn later about things that Apollos does. He's, he's fairly great. So I'm like, well, how did Aquila and Priscilla, you know, be able to elevate and, and bolster Apollos' knowledge, but uh, I guess I just wasn't paying attention to the fact that they, that Paul came and lived with them. They became really fast friends. They bonded with them, and it's not known whether uh, uh, they were Christians before Paul came there, if he converted them, or, or 
after it, it's not known, but surely uh, in the downtime, Paul spent a lot of time educating and, and uh, lifting up and, and strengthening Aquila and Priscilla. So they became very strong and, and able with the word. <clears throat> In verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. For now I will go on to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now, this is a pretty interesting piece of text here. Some other translations say that Paul devoted himself completely, where it says uh, Paul was compelled by the Spirit. Paul devoted himself completely to the Word once Silas and Timothy arrived. So they brought with them support funds from the church at Macedonia. Now, congregations supporting evangelism, that's, that's nothing new. An evangelist working to make a living, like Paul here, working, making tents, is nothing new. But, of course, it's preferable if we, the body, the church, can provide for the worldly needs of these evangelists so that they can, in fact, devote themselves wholly to the work and to the word. And that's what's happening here. Paul got this opportunity to set the tent making aside for a little bit and just dig in. Um, Verse 6 there says, when they opposed him and, and blasphemed him, this is in the New King James. Uh, in the King James, it says, they oppose themselves. Opposing the word of God, well, it's bad for the one opposing. That's where the damage is done, nothing else. So they, they oppose Paul preaching the gospel. They're really opposing themselves. They're doing themselves damage, or they're not going to get anywhere with that. <clears throat> and here in verse 7 and 8, um, it says he departed there. Uh, entered into the house of a certain man, Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. It was literally um, abutting up to the synagogue, right up against it. And Paul started teaching from there. Uh, he just had all, all these people coming to the synagogue, and he's right next door, and he, he was ma- managing to hail some crowds, and he was spreading the word. He, um, they, they opposed him, but he had this opportunity to still get the word out there. And in doing so... Um, he did manage to convince the chief ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, to convert, to follow Jesus, as well as his whole family and many other Corinthians. And as it's clear in many passages of the New Testament, we see here that these Corinthians, they followed the plan of hearing the word, believing the word, and being baptized. They submitted to baptism. Verse 9, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you, to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now, Paul's bravely faced opposition before. That doesn't mean he's fearless, right? So bravery is, well, you're afraid, but you do it anyway. And the Lord told Paul to, you know, he, he's brave, he's doing it. The Lord told him to put his fear away. Despite the fact that we just read how justice and many others were redeemed, Crispus, the synagogue leader, well, Paul still had reason to fear. Uh, the Lord had promised him 
that his opposition wasn't going to be successful in stopping him, and that many people there in Corinth were going to be accepting of the message. And it's really, it's understandable that he might face fears in Corinth. Because um, like I said, it's a target-rich environment, meaning you're there to save sinners, you're sa- save the lost. The sinners were there. The place was oozing with sinners. And when you strike gold, are you going to stop digging? No. Paul dug in and, and stayed there for a year and a half saving people. Um, Corinth was, it was the scandal of the ancient times. And I know we've talked about it in, in other studies um, the Greek language, they actually made a verb out of the city's name. Corinthianize is how it's translated, and it, it means to practice whoredom. Even as late as the 17th century, uh, Shakespeare, when, in his plays, when he would have a Corinthian in there, it would be somebody stumbling on the stage, drunk. You know, it, the, in, Shakespeare would de- uh, depict them as, as just pure debauchery. So you find yourself surrounded by sin you don't think you can get out right? that's that's a common theme people face that from time to time uh there's it's just it's just all around them it's it's too much um but in corinth that many people a year and a half of paul in there pulling them out of that lifestyle those people can, can be converted you can be forgiven of your sin too whatever it is and we talk about relating corinth to las vegas as sin city but uh, from my understanding, is that's that's really doing Las Vegas a disservice. It's a lot worse. Like you think of you think of the debauchery and and just the the sin, the drunkenness, everything going on in Corinth. You're probably not thinking about how bad it is. You're, you're probably underestimating it. Very renowned as a very bad place. Target rich environment for Paul. <clears throat> So after he gets this vision, right after, right after the Lord tells him, don't worry, you're going to be safe, you're going to be successful there, um, he gets faced with a, an interesting legal problem. It says, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Well, <clears throat> the deputy here, He's brought, to the, brought before Gallo, Gallio, the deputy, and accused of breaking the law. The implication here is that Judaism, it was a legal religion in Rome. I mean, Christianity was not. And Paul, I'm sure, loaded with all the right words to say, ready, ready to speak in his defense, starts to open his mouth, doesn't get a word out. Gallio beats him to the punch. It says in verse 14, when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you or should I, why I should put up with or, or hear this case. But if it's a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat, but Gallio took no notice of these things. So as the Lord promised him, Paul was protected. Claudius had recently expelled the Jews from Rome. We, we read that a minute ago. We're talking about Aquila and Priscilla. That's why they wound up there. They were kicked out of Rome. It was unlikely that this case was going to go any higher, uh, and, and Gallio get overruled there. He simply shut it down and dismissed it as nothing. The, the Jews were essentially hated uh, in, in Corinth, and he, wasn't, he, wasn't, he didn't want to deal with this 
what he thought was a petty issue, and he wasn't worried about getting overruled or, or it becoming a bigger problem. So he just said, I, I don't want to do it. Um, not not going to hear it. And then the Jews get a beatdown. So um, we read earlier that Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. When Paul was preaching out of Justice's house, Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. He believed, his family believed, he was, he was saved. Um, he'd accepted the truth. Well, you're going to have to probably step down from being the ruler of the synagogue in that, in that position. Sosthenes was his apparent successor in that leadership role. So he's the guy that would have been leading this legal attempt to get, to get Paul. Right? So Sosthenes is the guy, um, the band leader of the Jews that banded together, that, that came together and, and brought him to trial. So the Corinthians hating the Jews, see this play out and see that they didn't get anywhere with it. And the law, the land, Gallio, blew them off. So they took the opportunity to pounce on Sosthenes and they gave him a beatdown because uh, they could get away with it. So at first I'm, I'm shocked at the court favoring Paul here so strongly. I'm like, I feel like my team just hit a home run. I'm going to read that. And I'm like, yeah. And then they get, they get this beatdown. The crowd beats him and, and you get the inclination to say, yeah, you get what you deserve. You know, but we don't cheer for that. That's, I mean, we're, we're pretty sheltered here in America. But I don't think we understand what brutal violence a mob attacking someone really is about. And it's, I mean, back then people were really harsh, really violent. Uh, I, would, I would assume that Paul wouldn't stand for it. It doesn't say what Paul did here, but... Paul could have, could have intervened and saved the man's life. They may have been on the path to beating him to death. There is in, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, a mention of dear brother Sosthenes. It doesn't say it's the same guy, but I like to think maybe he got some sense beat into him and got converted. <laughs> but, you know, we got to love our enemies. Um, I mean, I, I admit that I, I read that and I'm like, yeah, get him, but... We have to love our enemies. We, we can't condone a beatdown, and neither should the law. Right? Gallio was wrong as, as a legal leader there to tolerate this religious discrimination because it could, it could be the other way, and it has been many times. And that's something that we as Christians should be concerned about. Religious freedom is really important. But I found this very interesting, kind of the, the turn of of things, uh, everything Paul's faced, the persecution, the physical beatings, and he was, uh, he was opening his mouth in defense, getting ready to start it all over again, same thing, and it didn't, it didn't go that way. It went very differently. <clears throat> then it says in verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off in Centuria, where he had taken a vow, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I'll return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. So a year and a half ended sometime after this incident with Gallio. So the thing happened, there was the beating, and then Paul still remained a good while, but total was, was a year and a half. Then he set sail. Now the head shaving vow, it's not really made 
clear to us here. And it's actually possible by this text that they're talking about Aquila as the one that shaved his head. It says, uh, then he took leave of the brethren, sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him, and he, and his hair, uh, he had his hair cut off. Nobody really thinks it was Aquila, though, um, because Paul's a subject of this. And he did tend to keep a lot of the Jewish customs, but that didn't mean he would impose on his Christians. So Aquila, being his Christian brethren, um, doesn't say he had his hair cut off, doesn't say Paul asked him to do anything, but what we think happened here was that Paul took the Nazarite vow, which is it's not commanded, it's voluntary. Uh, it's, it's outlined in number 6 and 13 through 20, but it's basically you're consecrating yourself, you're separating yourself from the world. Uh, part of this uh, ceremony, if you will, is, is cutting off your hair and putting it on the altar. And there is, um, you know, a mirror to that in, in the New Testament, a parallel about consecrating yourself and, and making sacrifice. In Romans 12, uh, verse 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So, Paul's got a new haircut. Aquila and Priscilla get out of Sin City with Paul, but he leaves them there at Ephesus where they're likely putting down roots and going to start working to spread the gospel. And we see a little bit of that at the end of this chapter on what they're doing there. Uh, I like how it's written here in verse 19 where, and, and earlier where he, uh, he entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. In any case, you're reasoning with someone, it means you're using logic and reason and, and you're trying to enlighten them of the truth. And the gospel is logical and reasonable and it's the truth. Right? And so it, you're not going in and, and doing battle. You're not going in and, and arguing and, and fighting. I mean, they are arguing in, in some cases, but they're doing it with reason. They're saying, let me show you. This is, this is the truth. This is why. And they know the scriptures and they know what it's all pointing to. And so they just need somebody to show them. And it was apparently effective because they wanted him to stay here longer. So when they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent because he had things to do. He was, he was getting on to Jerusalem. <clears throat> but it, it was uh, effective to reason with them. He it was intent on his travel. He needed to make it to Jerusalem for the Pentecost feast, which would be another great opportunity for evangelism. Lots of another target-rich environment, lots of people there that he could reason with. <clears throat> and we had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church. He went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So Paul pops into Jerusalem, visits the church there. Then he went down to Antioch, which is the sponsoring church that sent him on his missionary travels. But he spent some time there, so surely he was giving a lengthy and detailed report of everything that occurred on this, his second missionary trip. This was a three-year mission. And he visited uh, the churches of South Galatia, Lystra, Derby, etc. They came to Troas, where the, the Macedonian call uh, occurred. They went to Philippi, where Lydia and the jailer were baptized. Paul and Silas preached in Thessalonica. The noble Bereans accepted the gospel. Paul goes to Athens. That's fun. That's interesting. Found the unknown God. He was joined by Timothy and Silas in, in Corinth. Um, 
went through Ephesus, Caesarea, came to Jerusalem, and here he is back in, back in Antioch. And so that's, that's concluding his third missionary journey, or his, his second missionary journey. And then his um, third one begins, same way here, um, going around, strengthening the, the churches he's, he's visited. Now, that probably warrants a map. I'll defer to Justin for that. So. I don't have one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, but, he, but he leaves again. So um, it's a little, a little short verse here of the end of something big and the start of something big. And he had promised Aquila and Priscilla that, that he'll be returning uh, to Ephesus. So we're going to read on. We're going to learn more about in Acts what goes on there. In the meantime, Luke tells us what Aquila and Priscilla have been doing. And we're introduced to Apollos here. Verse 24, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now what's interesting to me here is Apollos had, he did have... um, correct information. He just didn't have it all. He was right, but he, he didn't have the full picture. Yet, he's speaking boldly in the synagogue. He had the confidence to speak. He had the confidence in the Word of God. Um, so for one thing, you've got to have confidence in the Word of God, even if you don't have all the answers, because I'll tell you, standing up here, um, it, it's, the hardest part is, is knowing that you don't know everything. And knowing that you're, you're presenting and representing the Word of God uh, and, and you want to get it right. You've got you to get it right. But you got to, I mean, a lifetime of studying, you're not going to know everything. And so you've got to have the confidence to speak, just like Apollos did. And you're always growing. Right? So he, he wasn't um, in a position of knowing enough to stand up there boldly and speak and then and then calling that off, like, nope, nope, you can't tell me anything. I know. I'm out here doing it. He accepted what Aquila and Priscilla had heard him. They took him aside, explained it more accurately. They gave him more information. So we've got to be always growing. It's very important to always be, always be growing, always be learning, always be uh, getting stronger and stronger in the Word, just like Apollos. <clears throat> Speaking still of Apollos here, it says, when he desired... To cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So, strong in the faith, well-armed in the word. And so the brethren, they, they get behind him. Um, they, they write, exhorting the disciples to receive him. You know, he's, he's one of us, be with him, take, take care of him. <coughs> um, Corinth, he went to Corinth here, Achaia. Corinth is the capital of Achaia. We know he was very successful there. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gave the increase. You know, there's, there's a lot of work that Apollos is going to do. <clears throat> that was the last verse. That concludes our chapter. And there's always plenty of things to, to take away from a chapter study, and you could pick out about a half a dozen here to talk about. The thing that, that hits me the most that I think is really weighty is that we need to remember that Jesus came to save the lost sinner. 
Paul spent a year and a half in Sin City saving people. And I don't know that all of the people there were really as awful as, as the reputation of Corinth makes them seem. Definitely there was a lot of really bad people there. Uh, and even, even the ones that would hear and, and believe, they're still surrounded by it. You know, they're, they're in it. It's likely that, that he saved a lot of people that had more sin on their souls than any of us really could, could tolerate ourselves living with. But the point is, you know, when we repent and we turn towards Jesus, we don't have to have that guilt anymore. We're freed from sin. We're redeemed, redeemed we're cleansed. Even the, the really, really immoral, bad, bad Corinthians. And so all we have to do is receive the word, believe it, be baptized. We submit to Jesus, and we're going to be forgiven. We're going to be cleaned. And if you haven't done that, then why not tonight? You know, if, if, if you need any, anything that would help you restore your relationship with Jesus, would help you in your path and your walk with him, or anything at all that, that we can do for you, we'd ask you to come to the front as we stand and sing.